Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. TBBE Films is a Los Angeles-based production company specializing in narrative and documentary films and documentary-style branded content. The directors, producers, Tom Putnam and Brenna Sanchez, have combined credits that include 13 feature films, more than 30 hours of broadcast series, and countless short-form projects. Their branded content clients include General Motors, Ford, Red Bull, Toshiba, and Warner Brothers. And their most recent feature, Burn, is one of the highest-grossing self-distributed films in history with a domestic box office of $1.1 million. And Burn was the number one documentary and independent film on iTunes for its digital release. And Carol, you have said on the show, one of the best distributed films is Burn. Exactly, Claire. Thank you. And Brenna, we really appreciate your joining us today. Thank you so much. Uh, I love to talk with you about this stuff. Yes. Well, let's get started. Why don't you just pitch us the film for people who may not know about it? Let's hear what your pitch is. Sure. Burn is an action-packed, character-driven documentary about Detroit firefighters who are widely known as the most overworked, underpaid uh, firefighters in America, um, and it's it's like a war story. It's it's a it's a it's a platoon of guys who go through an urban war essentially for a year. I haven't. Well, now, if you were from what I read, you and Tom just put yourself into the film and stayed with the firefighters day and night to get some of the shots. So, tell us about the producing challenges. Well, there was the getting the film made, and there was the making the film. Um, the actually making the film was as difficult as anything we've ever heard, uh, sort of going to Everest. Um, we spent about 14 months with the firefighters on and off. Uh, we were there probably every five or six weeks, and we'd do you know, 24-hour shifts with them. And in our first two nights of filming, we went to 21 structure fires uh, with one company, Engine 50. And uh, so we had to have, I mean, obviously the, the run and gun aspect of it is intense as it gets. And we had to hire really professional crew and, and, and really use, you know, the most durable, portable equipment we could find. So there were sort of extremes that we had to always be attentive to, uh, whether it was weather, uh, you know, safety, equipment, crew, you know, it, everything had to be on point all the time. Well, um, you, 
two nights, twenty over twenty fires. Tell me, uh, is this arson going on? What's the cause? It's arson. I mean, in 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 Detroit, the numbers are a little uh, wonky, but firefighters anecdotally will say ninety five percent of their fires are are arson, um, and it's just you know it's disenfranchised people in, in Detroit. Arson is a kind of a is a language, if you will. Uh, if you've done something to me, if you've evicted me or 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 scorned me or you know done wrong in some deal, I'm gonna light your house on fire. Um, and that's a it's a strange history Detroit has, but it it it's it is what it is. And you know it's people without a voice who fire is a is a is a way to get someone's attention and. It, also, it's, you know, it's boredom in a city. It, there's a line in the movie where one of the firefighters says, you know, a gallon of gas is cheaper than movie ticket. And a lot of times we'd be out. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it sounds funny, um, but a lot of times we'd be out at two in the morning and with the, with the fire crew and putting out a fire. And there's a porch full of people across the street watching and drinking and, you know, having a good old time. And the firefighters are very aware that someone in that group is probably set the fire oh for their own God. entertainment. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a different world. It's a different world. Well, are these homes occupied or unoccupied? There are when we made the film there were about 80,000 abandoned structures in Detroit. Uh, so most of them are are abandoned. Um once in a while there'll be a, an occupied building or business, but the majority of what we saw and uh you know, I mean at this point we've been to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fires, uh, was abandoned. So the city, in the city, there's a history that when people are dis- disturbed or upset, like if you were evicted from a house, you might go just burn the thing down, or that's the attitude of what's going on. That's right. Wow. So <clears throat> so you, what made you pick this project, Brenna? Well, in 2008, Tom read a story about a Detroit firefighter whose name was Walter Harris who was killed in an arson fire in an abandoned home. And I happened to actually be in Detroit when he read the story, he called me, and I went down to my old firehouse uh, when I used to live there, and I went in and I asked him about it, and I said, you know, why are you fighting fires in abandoned buildings? It's so dangerous, and, you, you know, they just have so few resources to work with um and we had a conversation about it you know of course it's like asking a dog why he barks you know or like asking a chef why he cooks it's they just looked at me like I was crazy you know what do you mean why why would we not fight this fire it's it's what we do it's we were hired and took an oath to protect property and 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 life and I said well you know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in a city full of basically kindling um but I also took a look around a look around the firehouse and it wasn't like I'd seen in the movies. I mean, there was, there were leaks, there was rust on the rigs, there was duct tape everywhere. You know, it really looked ratty, and it looked not like I wanted to see my, you know, the public servants that we pay taxes for. I didn't want to see them in this situation. It didn't seem right. Um, there, I knew we knew there was a movie there, so we we just were motivated to do it. Can you still hear me?
Yes, I can still hear you. You're doing just fine. Um, it oh, looks great. like Carol may have uh, dropped out, so perhaps we'll just carry on with the questions until she's able to uh, call back in. Okay. All right. Well, um, certainly, you know, there's been a lot of work that you guys have been doing, and so much of it has also been involved in, uh, you know, the, the the distribution and the marketing. And it looks like Carol is back with us now, so rather than ask my next question, I'll just go ahead and open her mic and let her uh, get back where, where she left off. Hi, Carol. Welcome back. Hi. Um, I just am amazed at what you went through to make the film. <clears throat> so it, it really was a good choice, and I, I was lucky enough to get to talk to Tom during production, and I just asked him, what are you going to do about distribution for this film? And when he started telling me your tactics or what your plans were, I was amazed that anybody knew so much about hybrid distribution and had such brilliant plans. So would you like to tell us what your outline was for distribution and how you were able to be so successful? (laughs) Well, um, I suspect you might have talked to him a little later in the game because our plan was to get a distributor. That was our distribution plan. And we went to Tribeca and had an incredible reception, tons of great press, um, sold out shows, won the audience award, and uh, we had great representation. And we didn't get, uh, we got no no valid offers. Um, We waited and we waited and it honestly was about three months later when we had we panicked because we still owed a bunch of money and um, we did one screening in in Philadelphia at a, that was near to a firefighter convention just to see if it would work if we could rent we rented a theater we flew in our firefighters we went there we sold tickets we sold T-shirts. We just wanted to see if it could work, if anyone would show up, and we did gangbusters. We sold out, I think, four shows, um, and that's what told us we, if we didn't find distribution, we could do that. We could rent a theater and sell tickets and you know, sort of take it on the road, but we knew we couldn't afford the expenses, and it's very expensive um, to be traveling everyone. So it, we took a couple months, um, and in September we started basically a tour. And we went theater to theater, town to town. We had a, a sponsor uh, called MSA who they make fire helmets and masks and, and air tanks for firefighters and safety equipment. And they basically partnered with us. They covered some of our expenses. And... We were able to do a tour and and make our money back and and start making a profit. Well, this is brilliant. So, who's how many companies did you have to go through to find uh, this one to partner with? Was it difficult? We called every fire equipment manufacturer in the United States and some overseas, and MSA was the only one who could take a. 
basically they took a risk on it. I mean, they no one could wrap their head around what we were doing. You know, are you doing a YouTube video because those are already out there and we don't understand why you need money and um they couldn't understand, you know, a feature film about firefighting. I think if we were to make those calls again, it might be a different story because they've all seen it um and it's pretty well regarded in in in, in firefighting. But MSA, we had a champion there, someone who really took an interest, and, and they invested small at first just to see what we, would, what we were doing. Uh, but then once we were done, they realized that it was, it was something that they really wanted to get behind. Well, and how did they benefit? Um, you know, well, we did, I think, 35 cities with them in terms of showing up, renting a theater, it was an event. Uh, tickets were twenty dollars. There was merchandise. We had the firefighters from the film there doing signings and and photos, and and there was an after party. And so there were these events where this company was able to go have a great time with their customers, essentially. I mean, firefighters and the and the the chiefs and the people who do the buying and make the decisions and the union members. And it really was the best you know, how many dinners can you take a client to that are that fun and that rewarding and that, you know, and also there was a give back aspect in terms of, you know, we we can talk about this later, but we donated a huge portion of uh, our profits back to the firefighters. So it just was, you know, wins all around. And, and there were people coming to see the movie again and again and again. I mean, people were driving 10 and 12 hours you know, we'd seen them in, you know, State College, Texas one night, and then we see them in Austin the next or, you know, whatever. I mean, they really were committed fans. Um, so for MSA to be in the room with all that energy, it, I mean, it just made them look great. Oh, that's wonderful. What a great yeah. <clears throat> Well, let me ask you, how did you find your audience? Was it mostly firefighters or when you when you com- – piled a list to send the information to about your screenings. How did you get that list? We had no list. We had <laughs> no list. We, um, we, we, you know, the list came from, we released an origi- our original trailer in 2000, early 2010, and it went viral, and people it made the rounds to, all over the world, um, and so that got the attention of firefighters, and, and it brought attention to the plight of the firefighters and the plight of Detroit. You know, this is before the bankruptcy, and this is before Detroit had, you know, before Detroit was a regular feature in the New York Times. Um, so it was fascinating to people, and it was covered, you know, by, by media all over the world, and and. So it got attention, and that's how we started our list. You know, and we had a very simple website. It just had a donate now button on it. And this is before crowdfunding was a thing. You know, and it was before Kickstarter. Um, I think Kickstarter had started, but no one had heard of it. Um, and so that's what you know. People just started hitting the button, and, and it wasn't a lot. It was you know five dollars and ten dollars, but that. You know, we were able to, you know, fly to Detroit and and do meetings with the bureaucracy there, and and it really helped us get started and and cover those really essential costs of of getting a project started. 
Well, when you say people just hit the button, did you have a donate button on your website? Is that what you mean? Yeah, we had a big red donate now button, um, and there was an imperative along with it. You know, the text above it was, um, you know, Detroit can't wait, uh, which actually was then repurposed by the governor of Michigan about a year later. But, um, yeah, it's just a big red donate now button um, along with the trailer, which we thought spoke of, you know, our ability to make a film, uh, the story we wanted to tell, although it did change significantly, obviously, to documentary, you can't control these things, but, um, and people believed in it. That's amazing. So you, it started, you said, with the uh, video, so you put that on YouTube, and that's what went viral, your trailer? Yes, we'd been commissioned by PBS to do a proof of concept trailer because they didn't believe that there were enough fires to make uh, a legitimate documentary. Um, well, like I said, our first two nights, we, we was 21 fires, so that argument went out the window. But when they passed on it, uh, we released it to the public, and, and it took off. Actually, that was probably <clears throat> something that was disappointing, yet it turned out to be very good for you. There were so many no's <laughs> and so many disappointments. I mean, there just wasn't, nothing ever went the way we thought it would go or or that logic and, and his experience told us it should go. Uh, I think one of our, you know, our saying became, like, did anyone ever just give you a pony? You know, it's, you always get the thing you want, but just never the way you think you're going to get it. Um, so, yeah, it was just a case of persistence and, you know, no, no was never no. I mean, we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm brilliant. Well, um, so when you had <laughs> I can talk about your events and how how well you did. So, how did you choose the cities to go to? Uh, MSA was helpful in looking at, you know, which cities are firefighter cities. You know, where there are the most firefighters where they had accounts, you know, where they, departments that were using their equipment, uh, that was always a big one because they could do outreach there. Um, and there are, you know, you can go online and find cities with the most firefighters. And uh, so we just narrowed it down. And, you know, we'd fly in to one location and maybe drive to three or four cities and then fly out from that last city and come back to L.A. And, uh, you know, Tom has uh, joint custody so we'd split the week, you know, we'd be here, here in L.A. for half the week and uh, with his son, and then the other half of the week we'd be, you know, driving around the countryside uh, like a vaudeville show, doing shows every night with our firefighters. We had Doogie uh, and Parnell with us most of the time, and then we'd rotate out some of the other firefighters. And, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a real old-timey experience with our merchandise in the back of the minivan and making our way across the United States. What fun you had. Of course, I guess that took you away from any other projects, but uh, what you did was an incredible achievement. So overall, you raised over a million dollars from the events, right? That's right. Well, the events... <laughs> And then the DVD sales and the merchandise sales. What was the merchandise? Well, 
we really held off releasing the film on DVD uh, or digital for about a well over a year after our premiere in, at Tribeca, and because we really wanted to maximize our theatrical. And I don't know that most movies, most filmmakers, most independent filmmakers could do that. Um, but because we had such a passionate audience, we didn't set a date for our release, for our digital release, until we felt we'd really maximized the theatrical. And also we were just exhausted and couldn't do it anymore. Um, but uh, after 170 cities, you know, we, we went to the cities, we rented the theaters, we sold T-shirts, posters, DVDs of strictly firefighting footage, um, you know, quote-unquote fire porn, as it was called, where uh, it was just firefighting for firefighters and fans of firefighting. Um, it was not a general audience release. It was people who were very particular on, on, on firefighting. And then, uh, yeah, T-shirts, hats, you know, all the usual stuff. But when you have the guys from the movie there signing posters and and doing the whole thing, you know, it just it was a real event, and everyone wanted to take something home from that. Um, you know, they had good quality T-shirts and beautifully printed posters, and and it it meant a lot to people um, to take something home from that. Because they were part of an experience, you gave them a great experience. Yeah, and every show was just you know sold out, so much fun. Um, you know, the, the soundtrack of the film is really energizing. The film is, is in itself energizing. And, and, you know, there were fire, it was standing ovations every night and firefighters in tears. And it was just every night was an incredibly moving experience. And Parnell, one of the, uh, he's one of the men that was in the film, and he was free enough to fly around and be at the screenings for you. Well, he had just retired. You know, I mean, that, the film has him, you know, the last scene of the film is, is his retirement. And um, so, yeah, so it was perfect for us. I'm <laughs> um, Yeah, and so he got to, you know, I think that was really good timing for him uh, and and also for, for Doogie, who is also in the film. Great. Well, tell us about funding. How did you get the majority of your funding? The majority of our budget came from General Motors. Uh, that was the biggest, you know, sometimes the things you have to, some, some things are just, just fall into place. And this was the one thing that fell into place, but it was a major thing that fell into place for us. Um, a friend of a friend got us in at General Motors right when the original trailer was going viral. And... General Motors came back quickly with an answer. They were very interested in the project, and we went to one face-to-face meeting with them, and, you know, they just liked what it said for Detroit and, and what our, our goals were. Um, and that that was a tough deal because we maintained that they didn't have creative control. They had, you know, we would have conversations, but... They didn't dictate. They, there was no product product placement. We were, you know, I think we were very convincing once we explained, like, hey, if if if, if there's product placement and there's if you have a, a hand like that, a commerce hand in this, we lose our legitimacy, and that's the only thing we have going for us as a documentary is that sort of truth and legitimacy. No one will 
take us seriously, we won't be reviewed seriously, we won't be considered seriously, and so we'll both lose. So they were completely hands-off, um, and the, the 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 budget they gave us was a charitable donation. Um, it was it meant a lot. It got us started filming, and you know I think we thought it would attract people to the project. I don't know that it did, um, but it did get us get get the get the ball rolling, which attracted people. Hello, can you still hear me? Brandon. Carol? Yeah. yeah. Hi. Yep. I disappeared again, sorry, but this phone dropped out. But I wanted to find out, um when you went when you talked to General Motors, um you you made a contract and cause did they give you a certain a promise you a certain amount total or did they have to have budgets from you and then pay accordingly or how did you work that part? Well, we had worked the budget, and they gave us a portion of the budget. Um, it was a you know a flat donation, just like anyone else who donated. Um, they just you know were able to give us enough to get really significantly moving. Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. Well, this is a great thing for them. And did you? Uh, how did you repay them? Did it say uh, GM was uh, an executive producer or something on the film? Uh, the the ti- there's a title card right at the front that says General Motors Entertainment, uh, which I was so proud of because that was such a unique deal that we were able to craft uh, with them. And just to make it clear, had they said we need to have our vehicles in 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 your film and and we need to have final cut on the movie, we would have walked away from that donation. Um, we that's just. It, you know there are absolutes and there are absolutes, and that would have been a it wouldn't have been a hard thing to walk away from if the terms didn't suit our needs um so we were very, very proud to have their name up front uh, and i i honestly i don't i think a lot of people thought that it was a commercial or and you know, we didn't get very much festival play we got Tribeca, but we got turned down by about sixty festivals um and I think That's it might amazing. have been because it really is. It's I, I, it's shocking to me because we've all seen a lot of festival films, but um, yeah, I think it was a a turn off and 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 a lot of comments were that the film was too commercial, um, which is to me saying you know oh she's so pretty she must not be very smart. Um, <laughs> Right. You know, in terms of the look and the, and the feel of it, because we worked really hard to make it look like a mainstream film, because we knew we were going after a mainstream audience. We wanted the most people possible to see it. You know, um, we just wanted to make a good movie so people would go see our documentary. Well, you know, this is uh, very similar to what they're doing at Tug and. Um, Cinema on demand. That's what you did. Uh, you did it all by yourself, so which is a lot of work. You had to book all the theaters, send all the materials. That's that's producing. I mean, you not only making the movie. Now you're distributing it hands on. So, did you learn a lot? I guess that's the best question I could ask you. Oh my gosh. Um, well, we had no idea. I mean, does anyone know how to do this? We do, but, you know, now, but Tom and I had no 
no experience in anything like this. I mean, I think the only experience you could have is if you had, I don't know, done a tour with a band or something or, or managed a, a, a band. Um, it was, you know, we were working a week to two weeks in advance. We were booking things two weeks in advance and just hustling. Our, we had no budget for marketing, so we were literally had a paid intern calling every firehouse, civic organization, union hall within a 75-mile radius of every theater we booked. That was our marketing. Oh, heaven. Um, and Facebook, which was, you know, Facebook. Without Facebook, this film would not have been uh, made or distributed. So, you know, we were figuring everything out, and we spent a ton of money on it. Um, you know, so yeah, we made a terrific box office, but that was a very expensive – it was a very expensive box office to make, and it was a very expensive education because it's just the amount of man hours and – expenses that go into something like this. I mean, you just have no uh, earthly idea. And it makes sense, you know, when you hear about all these distributor deals filmmakers get that, you know, filmmakers never filmmakers never see a dime. Um, and then their movie comes out and it doesn't do well. Well, it's really, really hard. Distributing a movie is really, really hard and it's very expensive. And I think we were the only ones who could have distributed a movie like this. I think had it gone to a distributor, no one would have seen it, and we wouldn't have seen any money. Um, you know, the downside of it for us, like you said, is we couldn't be working on anything else. And yeah. I don't know how many filmmakers want to take that much time off of filmmaking because um, it does, you know, it's it's like running. You can't take a break. You have to keep going. And the break wasn't, I mean, it's what we had to do, but it wasn't great for our careers. Right. Right. Well, um, I noticed that um, that you got uh, Dennis Leary uh, as part of the film. So tell us how that worked. <laughs> um, I think, like everything we got from the film, it was just a question of like of persistence. Um, uh, Tom had a friend of a friend who had a friend, you know, who'd worked with uh, Dennis and Jim Serpico. And we just kept emailing them. I mean, we literally got their email address online and just kept emailing them and emailing them. And then we started filming and then we started sending them dailies. And I mean, they really were not interested until we started sending the footage. And gosh, I think it was three days after we'd sent them the first batch of footage that we were sitting down with them and making a deal. And uh, yeah, it was tremendous. I mean, he's Jim and Dennis are incredibly smart. They were incredibly supportive. Um, they're a great resource. They went out front and did press for us that we could never get, you know, and we got a lot of press because Dennis was involved. Um, and Jim Serpico, his producing partner, is really sharp and always there with us. And they're, you know, they were just both in the fight um, and in the struggle and, and, put their backs into it and um the upside of that is we get a lot of publicity the downside of that you know because there's always a downside is people thought he was paying for the movie <laughs> right you know which um and that was that was sort of disappointing because we'd worked so hard for everything that 
you know, for people to come along, you know, we heard a lot of people say, oh, you know, we don't need to donate. Dennis Leary is paying for this. You know, no, why should he pay for this? You know, he's, he's, he's investing in it using his, you know, his currency, his celebrity, his passion for firefighting and, and the well-being of firefighters and, and his firefighting foundation. Um, the Leary Firefighters Foundation was really involved as well. So it's, you know, for every... For every win, there's a cost, um, but they were fantastic to work with and and great great partners. I love it. Um, Tom Malloy, this producer I love, tells me, <clears throat> "Go until no," and that sounds like that's your motto. You just kept going after people until you got them, and going after what you wanted. Uh, and and this is truly part of filmmaking. You just can't get emotionally involved if someone doesn't answer you back or you don't hear from someone you just have to keep going until they they say don't call me anymore <laughs> right oh this is this is not to say uh, i wasn't emotionally involved i i take things very personally and <laughs> i think that's something that's been a cha- that was the biggest challenge um tom is a little more a little less personally involved you know taking things personally um, so he was able to sort of keep us, keep the ballast, uh, you know, uh, upright. But yeah, it's really hard. You take things personally, but you you can't be persistent if you don't take things personally. But it's hard to take things personally when you have to be so persistent. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was motivated. There were times where I'd wake up at three in the morning. Actually, it was a long stretch of time, and I was like, wait a minute, have I gone over the edge? Like has all of the have I, have I lost my perspective? Have I lost my reason? What am I doing? We've heard so many no's, and this you know this is so stacked against us. Even even our friends and peers and colleagues are like, what are you doing? This is like you've really gone over the edge here. You know how far are you going? And it's we were so in so deep. I mean, when we finished the film, we were two hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt. Oh my! In God. terms of yeah, so. um you know, you really question your reason and your perspective when you're that far, and you know, off course, so to speak. And we have people, we've had just, I think, hundreds of conversations with filmmakers who want to do what we did. And I don't know that, and that's a, it's, a, it's not a quality that you need to be a, a decent or good filmmaker. So I don't know that it's a quality that m- most or many filmmakers have. Um, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for Tom, but I'm a pretty stubborn person. Um, that That's not a quality that, that's necessary for, for a, a, a good filmmaker. It just happened to work in this situation. <laughs> right, right. Well, um, tell us, can you just sum up some things in distribution that you would recommend that people, that filmmakers do, and pitfalls that you recommend they don't do? Uh, If for anyone who wants to do the type of distribution that you've done, where you it's hands on, or because now you do have tug and gather who can help you, but it's knowing. Uh, what's involved and what's the right path. So any advice you could give us in that respect would be appreciated. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, Tug and Gather, you know, they deal with the same issues we did. It's very expensive. So it depends on what your what your goal is. I mean, if you want your movie to get out there and be seen, 
there are options like tug and gather. There's, you know, go straight to digital, which I think is a fantastic idea for a lot of films um, because a, a lost theatrical release can be very heartbreaking and, and, and disappointing. Um, but I think the biggest thing is connecting with your audience. I hear a lot of filmmakers say, you know, oh, I'm making my movie for, you know, for documentary filmmakers or for, for for documentary fans, or it's a has, has has such a broad audience. You know, it's going to appeal to so many different kinds of people. That's actually a marketing disaster um, waiting to happen. That's a that's a movie that no one's going to see because you don't have a vision for who's going to see it. I mean, you really do have to, you know, visualization whether you're running a marathon or or distributing a movie you have to think about the faces of the people who are going to see it and think about their their interpretation of the film and then you have to talk to them in a way that's going to make them understand it and that was the biggest thing i mean once that once our original trailer went viral we started seeing who was going to see the film you know and this was before we started making it really um and all along the way we'd release little bits of footage and see how they responded and by doing that we also had multiple clips go viral again because they were engaging to you know different types of people and so having that engagement with an audience early on while it looks like it was a fantastic strategy uh it was a fantastic strategy we just didn't know it was a strategy at the time but it's 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 everything you can't just bake your cake and then put it out and hope someone's going to come by and take a piece. Um, you have to have the pieces, you have to have people waiting in line for your cake. Uh, it's so hard to get people to go out and see a movie. I don't recommend the way we did it for most films or for most filmmakers. But if you want or need to make a profit, or if that's, I mean, you know, I think through this, Tom and I learned that this is our business. You know, right. we're not hobbyists. And yes. um, independent filmmakers have, we've really ghettoized ourselves. I mean, up till this point, I was very happy to be making $10 an hour if I was working on a film, and it, or, you know, or less. It, but that's not how you can, you can't have a life that way uh, when you're 40 and 50 and 60. You know, and I know it's hard to consider that when you're 20, but um, so we were very business minded about it. And that's really what you have to be. And if you choose not to be that, then let a distributor take it. And 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 there, your film has been distributed. Um, but that's not the optimum way for everyone. Uh, if you wanted to do it the way we did it, there's so much work involved. Um, you really have to commit to not being a filmmaker for a long time. And there's a lot of lessons. There's really no way to learn it until you do it. And they're exhausting lessons. Um, we are happy to, you, you know, provide ourselves as resources for people. But to be completely honest, once we've had our initial conversation with people or our initial first conversations, people decide not to do what we did, um, which I think is, is, is smart and self-aware because it's really a lot of investment uh, financially and, and personally uh, to, to do what we did. Um, I'm proud that we did it, and there was no other way for us to do it. But it's really, really hard. 
Um, so it's not for everybody. And it, you really do have to, the most important thing is just really get in touch with your audience while you're making your film, before you're making your film. Um, I know I, I just hear it from so many filmmakers that they say that's that's the marketing department's job, not mine. Um, but gosh, you know, isn't a film a letter? Isn't it a film a letter to your audience? Is it a message to your audience? So you got to know who's going to be there to receive it, right? Absolutely. Well, let me ask you something. When you when it went viral, it was on YouTube, right? And so how did people, how did that drive people to your website? Did you say something at the end of the film, like go to our website and join the, uh, our gang or anything to drive them to your website? Absolutely. We've always been very, very, very clear with our messaging. Um, and at the front and end of everything we ever released, it says if you believe this story needs to be told, donate now. DetroitFireFilm.org. I mean, it was just simple. But, you know, it was if, then this. You know, if you believe, then you need to do this. Um, and and that's how we drove it. Uh, unfortunately, on YouTube, you can't go back and change your videos, so they still say that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was our, – our, our messaging was always very, very clear. And, gosh, you know, we – in this time – we also got a PhD in marketing in terms of language that works. And, and again, that's something I see so many filmmakers who are sound and feel like they're panhandling, you know, their messaging is so uh, modest and, and, and we, we were never like that. I mean, I don't like asking people for money at all, but I think that it was so important to us that we just decided to pull up our pants and, and do it, you know, and, and, and just to be very clear and the call to action, you know, so it's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot, but that's actually the only way it'll work. And if it's not working, and this is something we, you know, a hard lesson you have to have to sort of take, but if it's not working, you're doing it wrong. Um, That was always what we told ourselves. If this message isn't working, we're doing it wrong. Change it. Um, you know, we hear from a lot of filmmakers, oh, you know, our crowdfunding, we didn't make it, we didn't, you know, we emailed all our friends, and we emailed, like, if it's not, I hate, you know, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but if it's not working, you're doing it wrong. Um, You know, it was, we took a lot of sort of ice baths (laughs) during this experience in terms of, nope, you got to face it, if you're not, if it's not working, you're doing it wrong, and that's a quick way to turn, turn a corner rather than languish and a failure or a mistake. Absolutely right. So true. Well, tell us a bit about the new film that you're working on. Oh, this is a fun one. Um, so there's a, a horror core, a so-called horror core rap group called Insane Clown Posse. They have fans uh, called Juggalos. It's a long group. has been around more than 20 years. They're completely self-distributed. Their story is actually a lot like ours. Um, when the music industry was tanking, they actually have built a bit of a respectable empire going directly to their fans. Um, Their fans, however, were labeled a gang by the FBI. There were a number of crimes committed by people who called themselves juggalos and identified with the band's T-shirts or lyrics or their CDs were at home after they'd committed these crimes or they had tattoos 
identifying with the band. So the FBI labels this group of fans a gang, which is like, you know, the Manson murders. The, they quoted the Beatles. So are the Beatles fans a gang? Or, you know, the the, the Raiders, you know, their, their gear and, and their logoing has been co-opted by gangs. Does that make Raiders fans a gang? Um, Dodgers. I mean, there's so many groups. The Grateful Dead. Uh, anyway, this group gets labeled a gang, which means that if you are wearing your ICP t-shirt and you're walking down the street, that's gang iconography and that's probable cause for search and seizure. Your oh. bumper sticker. Yeah, bumper sticker on your car. You're doing 30 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. You stop at the stop sign. Uh, you're doing nothing wrong, but your bumper sticker is probable cause for search and seizure. So a police car can pull you over, take you out of the car, take photos of your tattoos, if you have any, and then your name goes on a national gang database. Oh, my heavens. you're terrible. a fan of a band. Um, if your name goes on the national gang database, that means you are now ineligible for a government job, like, say, the Army. So people are getting discharged from the army or unable to enlist in the army. It, it's such a, it's something that sounds like a, a bit of a joke in the in at the start of it because oh haha you know these these aren't a gang they're just fans but it's actually people are losing custody of children, uh, losing jobs. We filmed with a woman who got fired the day we filmed with her and she's absolutely not a, a criminal. Um, she's a physical therapist. So this is really affecting people's lives. And the ACLU has taken up ICP, that's the, the, that's the band, and the Juggalos case, and are suing the FBI because the FBI hasn't released the criteria by which they determined this group to be a gang, which means the FBI could use any criteria to determine, you know, documentary filmmakers sitting at their house with wearing gray sweaters, you know, a gang. Um, that's, that was, that was me, but, um, <laughs> it's really very serious and, uh, it affects a lot of people. I mean, this band has between one and 2 million fans and there are just thousands and thousands of folks being affected by this. And there's an argument to be made that because they listen to this music that isn't popular, it's you know a lot of it hurts a lot of people's ears. Parents don't like it. It's graphic in nature. It's horror based, um, and you know a lot of people. It's misogynistic and it's offensive to a lot of people. Uh, but as far as Tom and I are concerned, you know you don't have to listen to Taylor Swift and shop at Drake Crew to be protected by the Constitution. Um, so we started making a documentary about it. A, you know, a group of unpopular people <laughs> um, who who deserve protection and, and the and the First Amendment we believe applies to them. Oh, how exciting! Well, we are, can we tell us your website uh, address and tell us how we can see Burn? Okay. Sure, sure. Uh, Burn is available on iTunes and Amazon and uh, Netflix DVD, not streaming. Uh, and our website is DetroitFireFilm.org. You can buy it digitally there or buy it on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, the Blu-ray is amazing. Um, 
And our uh, company website is tvvefilms.com. And uh, you can see clips from our past films and, and uh, uh, well, branded uh, content. Let's there. give them the website again. It's T like Tom, B like Boy, V Victory, and E Everett Films. That's right. Tom and Brenna versus everyone. <laughs> TVVEFilms.com. <laughs> I wonder if I've been puzzling over that one. That's great. Tom and Brenda versus everyone. Got it. <laughs> uh, well, you are charming, and I thank you so much for sharing all this information. And I know I speak for hundreds of filmmakers who will listen to all the things you've achieved and how you've achieved them, and sincerely thank you. No, thank you so much. You know, and there's a lot of other, you know, there's a lot of other content that's around that we've done that people should read, you know, 10 tips and for filmmakers without money. And there's a uh, film independent did a great study on us. And, and there's a lot of real details and sources and things listed in there. Um, there's, there's definitely further reading here. And thank you so much for everything you do uh, for filmmakers and, um, and really just keeping, keeping the, the fire going. Um, you've really done so much. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to 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 talk with us. Oh, thank you. And my best regards to Tom, and I sincerely appreciate your comments. How kind of you. Okay, thank you so till much. next time, Brenna. Yep, thank you. Okay, All take right. care. Thank you, Claire. You're welcome. Be well. Thank you so much, Brenna. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.